0: Shalom. This is Rabbi Richard Address for Jewish Sacred Aging. I'd like to welcome you to our Jewish Sacred Aging series of podcasts. We're going to be speaking with a variety of individuals who are working in the field of aging Judaism and the impact of the longevity revolution on our community. I appreciate you listening. In this edition of Jewish Sacred Aging podcast, we present an interview from our Boomer Generation radio series. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. And don't forget to check us out on our website, www.JewishSacredAging.com. Anyway, we are very pleased to welcome and honored to welcome to the microphone and uh, thanks to Tony and the electronics, uh, Dr. Tom Cole, who is the director of the McGovern Center for Humanities and Ethics at the University of Texas Medical in Houston, Texas. Tom, are you there? I am, Rabbi. How are you? Oh, you can drop the rabbi and just say we've known each other for a long time. How are you, Tom? Uh, I'm
1: good. It's
0: good to hear your voice. Good to hear your voice. Has it stopped raining in Houston?
1: It stopped raining. It's it's sunny. It's cool out here. We're...
0: Actually, got a decent walk in this morning. Good for you. Good for you. Well, look it up. Well, the rain's here. So, uh, you you have uh, spent a lot of your life dealing with uh, some of the cultural issues of aging and humanities. And in your book, "The Journey of Life," which is uh, subtitled "A Cultural History of Aging in America," you talked about your desire to explore the. The uh, cultural shoreline of later life, which is a brilliant image, and uh, in your work, and we'll go through some of that because you are not only an accomplished author and a filmmaker, professor, teacher, uh, dealing with a lot of these issues. What have you? What have you found on that cultural shoreline of aging?
1: Well, you know, I think the the shoreline changes over time. just like the sea levels rise, unfortunately. Um, and I think we, in the last you know, couple hundred years, we have moved from the meaning of aging being attributed by religion to the meaning of aging being attributed by medicine and health. And uh, there's a lot to be said for, of course, living longer, being healthier, the things that we're all trying to accomplish. But sometimes that comes at the cost uh, of a broader view of uh, the meaning of aging uh, and um, our connections to to our religious communities, to our our local communities, to relationships in general. So we've had this kind of transition from religious to individual health ways of thinking and uh, it's a mixed blessing.
0: Do I walk, unpack that a little bit? Why, why is it a mixed blessing? Because you, you, you've written about I mean, I'm interested in to just explore this a little bit with you, and especially that opening the premise that we've moved to a more scientific approach to aging as opposed to perhaps a more faith-based or spiritual approach to aging. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, let, let me illustrate this with a story that... Uh, I once heard, um, and it, it's a story about T.S. Eliot, the famous mid-century British writer. And uh, Eliot is giving a lecture on uh, an important social topic, and this young man, a very enthusiastic man, comes up at the end for the lecture and says, that's all wrong good, Mr. Eliot, but uh, Tell me, what are we going to do about this problem? How are we going to solve this problem? And Elliot looks at him and he says, Well, you really misunderstand, young man. There are two kinds of problems in life. One is like a puzzle. And if you have enough intelligence, effort, persistence, resources, you you will eventually solve a puzzle. But other problems are like mysteries but there are, there is no solution to a mystery the way you deal with a mystery is by creating a meaningful understanding of it a meaningful approach to it and i think that's the uh, that's a good metaphor for the way we have misconstrued uh, the experiment of aging so sure. um, aging remains a mystery no matter how much science no matter how much gerontology no, no matter how much increased lifespan decreased disability all these things that are so important to us in the end aging is a mysterious process it's it's part of the mystery of just like coming into the world and leaving the world these are not things that we have control of these are things that remain mysteries and mysteries require that we create some kind of meaningful response, some kind of orientation to 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 the mystery that uh, helps us make sense of it uh, rather than just feel out of control, dumbfounded, alone, isolated. Uh, so that's an example, uh, a metaphorical example of thinking about aging more as a mystery than as a problem and therefore something that requires um uh, meaning uh, and we can talk a little bit about what meaning is um, rather than pure problem solving
0: and, and that sense of how one chooses to deal with that mystery is blatantly subjective is it not?
1: it is subjective but it's also cultural um, you, know, you grow up in a community and if the community if it's a religious community Um, the symbols of that faith tradition uh, affect the individual psyche Um, so that when subjectivity becomes uh, drenched in or shaped by uh, the larger worldview that that we have and um, it also gets shaped by uh, the communities that we live in, the strength of these communities. And we all know that uh, the more contact people have, the more friends people have, uh, the more social engagement people have as they get older, the happier they are, and the longer they live. So, uh, so meeting comes, it's not just subjective in a personal sense, it is subjective, but it's subjective in an interpersonal sense. It's what happens between you and me. Um, it's that interchange creates a sort of subjective meaning you know that allows me to grow into the world Um, and growth I think is an important point here um, because we have this illusion I think that um, aging is not something that allows you to continue to grow right Um, and uh, I'm sure you know this uh, rabbinic story Uh, a little fragment that um, when each of us is born into the world, an angel, an accompanying angel comes up and slaps us on the butt and whispers, grow into our ear. And the problem is we stop listening to that angel once we somehow get into midlife or start aging. We think that growing is is not something is possible for us, and that we're just in a period of reacting or declining or failing, uh, and this is part of the problem that we're up against uh, in the culture.
0: Well, and, and, and Tom, the, the in your experience, and your writing, and your research, and your and your own living experience. Does that seem to to be changing with the boomers who really seem to be rejecting a lot of this, um, um, you know, you're 60, 70, 80, 90, just sit there and wait to die, as opposed to uh, I have this opportunity now given the wild cards of health and money to really continue to grow, to do the things that I've always wanted to do and explore and give back and be involved with grandchildren in different types of ways. My sense is that there is a... On a certain segment of the boomer generation, or an attempt to really redefine um, what it means to grow older, given the two wild cards of money and health, which change everything. Yeah. So it, it, is this change taking place, or is this totally off the wall? I, I think it's
1: changing, um, uh, you know, like you say, in a, in a particular subset of the population. Um, that does have education, that does have resources, and that is relatively healthy. Um, people are living lives uh, that allow them to grow um, in, like you say, in whatever form, uh, whether it's volunteer work, whether it's more time with grandchildren, whether it's taking up a new language or a new hobby. Um, but by and large, the culture still uh The mainstream culture, especially consumer culture, treats aging as a form of failure, as a form of decline, as something to be avoided at all costs. And so people spend an enormous amount of time and energy trying not to age, trying to look like they're young, trying to avoid the perception um, that they're older. I understand this at a personal level. you know, right now, I am uh, 67. My, uh, my right hip is really acting up. It's like excruciating to walk. Um, I'm engaged. I, I managed to get around. Um, I direct the center. Uh, but the level of pain that I experience is so great that it reduces the amount of uh, energy that's available right. for me in my daily life. Uh, is this aging? Is this disease? Uh, what do I do? I'm going to have a hip replacement in three weeks. Oh, wow. Do I tell people? Uh, do I not tell people? And what, how, how are they going to perceive me? Oh, Tom's gotten old all of a sudden. Um, is that my own experience? My own experience is I'm the same person I ever was, but I'm really hurt. I'm really there's really something wrong with my hip right and um, so I have to find ways to be who I am on both sides of that right I am somebody who's uh, 67 who has a really bad hip that needs to be replaced and who is physically much less vigorous than I was several years ago
0: this goes to A larger issue that, that really so many of us are now beginning. I was just in a conversation, um, the other night with a group of people, basically our contemporaries. And this again came up when some, uh, one of the individuals there said one of the things that they want to talk, really need to talk about is how to accept, uh, the changes in one's body. I mean, granted, medical technology, has, has made it possible that so many of our generation will have a knee replaced, a hip replaced, and they're back up running, you know, sprints or something. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that, and that's one of the blessings of technology that will allow that to happen. And, and I'm sure it will with you. But the larger question of, um, how does one deal with accept, but not accept in the sense of surrender, but accept in the sense of this is who I am and I'm validating it, but it doesn't change who the I, the, the me, the soul of who Tom is or who Richard is just because I have, a hip, have to have a hip replacement. So what? Thank God I'm able to have it. I mean, this is a part of that larger cultural question that you you spent your life studying. Um, and it's a very, very powerful question for many people in our generation, is it, that that role of acceptance, and it's not a giving up. It's just maybe a, an ability to move on into a next stage and accept it. This is another stage that also god willing allows us to move forward and as you said in that story to continue to grow we're speaking with tom cole dr tom cole the director of the mcgovern center for humanities and ethics at the university of texas medical center in houston and we'll be back with tom right after this message from our friends down the street at kendall hi this is kendall resident harry hammond this portion of boomer generation radio is brought
1: to you by kendall outreach Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB-AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live all over the place on wwdb and we're speaking with Dr. Thomas Cole, the director of the McGovern Center for Humanities and Ethics at University of Texas Medical in Houston, Texas, um, talking a lot about some of the research of Dr. Cole and the culture of aging and some of the contemporary temporary challenges. Tom, uh, I'd like you to just talk a little bit about one of the classes I just, because we had dinner a couple of months ago, I think it was in February, mm-hmm. um, with your You colleague. like our
1: margaritas,
0: huh? <laughs> they were good margaritas, uh, and the <laughs> chips at that Mexican place were cosmic, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Yes, they are very good. Um, so you team teach this class with a very, very good friend of yours, Koshi, right?
1: yeah, um, Ellison,
0: and it, it's um, it's for medical. Is it for medical students at UT? It's for medical students at UT and for chaplains in training. So, and walk us through. And, and you report some unbelievable things happening in this class, which which brings together Eastern, Western thought, meditation. Um, what's the first of all? What's the class called?
1: Um, it's called um, Care and Resilience. Um, in end of life care uh, well, resilience and care at, at, at the end of life and it's part of, a, of an overall perspective on contemplative care uh, at the end of life uh, Coach and has a new book that's about to appear I'm sure he'll be on your program fixing it. Mm-hmm. at least I hope so and it's called Awake at the Bedside and it consists of a series of chapters by um, people from different religious and uh, ethnic um, backgrounds and orientations who um, emphasize from their own point of view the importance of caregivers being fully present through um, practicing the disciplines um, of contemplation and meditation
0: so you teach this with medical students. Mm-hmm. Um, what and the perception, and we've had some people who do similar. There's a gentleman here who actually writes from my website and teaches this at Jefferson Medical School, Dr. Tom Friedman, and he, he, he reports some unbelievable responses on the part of medical students being opened up. What are you finding with your medical students? Are they obviously? This is an elective class, correct? Yes. So the people who come to the class are already perhaps pre-sold, they, they sort of like know what they're getting into. But walk me through some of the reactions because these individuals, you know, within a matter of years, are going to be sitting at the bedside of, a, of an individual and working with a family when they approach these various teaching and contemplative techniques that you teach them. What's some of the reaction?
1: Well, one of the hardest things for medical students to do, and I think physicians in general, is to uh, step aside for a bit from their problem-solving, purely objective way of making a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a treatment and um, understand themselves as fully human and present at the bedside, uh, in the presence of another fully human being. Um, and this is a move, it's a spiritual, psychological move, you might say, in, between states of mind that um, nobody teaches you how to, to do in medical school. Some of these techniques you learn if you're a psychotherapist, um, if you are in one of the contemplative traditions, although even there. The idea of being fully present, of being fully awake, here, now, in this moment, to sort of um, you know what Ram Das used to say, uh, be here now. Um, and we ask students to do that in reaction to texts and in reaction to life situations that they've had. And it means uh, sitting back and letting them explore their own feelings, Uh, with courage and and with uncertainty. Uh, If, for example, um, a student has made a mistake uh, and they are really upset about it and they feel like a failure, um, one of the techniques that we encourage uh, is um, open discussion uh, without judgment, uh, allowing a sort of um, forgiveness, a process of forgiveness, self-forgiveness, uh, an understanding um, among the group um, that mistakes happen, uh, that whatever the outcome doesn't mean you're not going to be a great physician. Uh, it means you're human, and so to be fully present in that in that moment of that discussion means feeling the pain of of failure. Feeling how awful it is to have made that mistake, which may or may not have affected the care of of one of your patients. That's something students don't get to do uh, in any other setting in their medical education, and it's profoundly liberating for them. It allows them to go into places, psychic and spiritual places, that are taboo otherwise. Um, And once they do that, um, they are able to connect with their patients um, in a wholly new way uh, and make space, make a psychic or spiritual space for their patients to occupy with them. Um, you know, in our tradition, we would think of this as I and that, right? Mm-hmm. A pure, open, uh, unfettered dialogue. It requires the kind of uh, a purity, of consciousness, and awareness um, that is fearless uh, and Open to pain, open to failure, open to love, uh, open to uncertainty, and um, those are some of the most uh, powerful experiences that our students have, and they will never forget these experiences. Um, they are among the most important experiences that they will have in medical school, because there's no other way to get this experience. They can they can do learn to do lumbar punctures, and they can learn to do to take blood pressure and. Uh, get prescriptions, and they are they they have to do that that's if they don't do that, they are failing to do that. right a technical part of their work but um, this kind of humanizing contemplative approach to presence and awakeness is what makes this uh, this course and this tradition that kosha is is uh, one of the leaders of that makes it so powerful.
0: Do you sense? Do you see this a movement uh, the, of contemplative reactions, etc., really spreading in medical schools around the country?
1: I think it's spreading. I think it's slow. Yeah. Um, you know, we have uh, we have a regular meditation meditation practice led by um, someone from MD Anderson once a week in our shop. Uh, the dean of nursing uh, is going to come over and partake in that course with uh, Coach and Penny Ellison. Hopefully, we'll be able to open up that course to other um, other students, nursing students as well as medical students. And the dean wants to learn to be part of a community to to take up a, a practice, a spiritual practice, and integrate it into her research as well. Mm-hmm and And we do find that um, that when patients in different situations take up uh, a meditation practice, it does have an effect on uh, their health outcomes.
0: We have about so two I think this is we have about two minutes left in this segment and i I just want to end the show and this interview with going back to a little bit of what we began with on that shoreline that changing shorelines of aging and You talked about meaning and and how people choose to seek meaning out of this mystery called aging and life. Um, How much of this search for meaning and purpose is really, Tom, in your experience and research and thought process, how much of it is an an attempt to just deal with the the ultimate fear of dying? And you have a minute and a half to answer that question.
1: <laughs> the longer I stay silent, the less time I have. Uh, I think it's I think it's more I think it's fear of time, but I also think it's uh, fear of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have to cultivate a kind of paradox. You have to cultivate the desire to struggle and hold on, right? To get to your hip, to get rehab, try to get back on the tennis floor. and you have to practice letting go. Um, finding a way uh, to accept things that you can't change. And it's that it's that paradox that we all have to find our way into. Um, there's no solution to it. And it's about uncertainty um, as well as about death. Um, am I going to have a stroke? Um, I might have a stroke two minutes after we get off the phone. God forbid. Um, God forbid. Mm. But it might happen. Right. And Can I prepare for that? Well, I don't know. Can I be aware of the possibility? Yes. Can I cultivate a way of thinking um, that is both health-oriented and oriented towards acceptance of what I can't change? So I think that's the goal. And uh, death is the ultimate, obviously, thing that's out of our control, but uncertainty about all, all that comes between now and death. Well, thank, thank you. It was so difficult.
0: Tom Cole, the director of the McGovern Center for Humanities and Ethics at UT Medical in Houston. As usual, thank you very much, Tom, for just your time sure. your expertise, your brilliance and your insights and in all this. Good luck with the operation. Say hello to your family for me, and I hope to see you thank soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Jewish Sacred Aging Podcast. We invite you to contact us at jewishsacredaging.com. We appreciate your comments and suggestions. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to seeing you again on another Jewish Sacred Aging podcast. Shalom.